Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about four things that I feel like every parent raising anxious kids needs to hear. These are the things that people get stuck on or things that I think are an important message while you're on your journey, raising an anxious child, because that journey can feel very lonely and it can feel very hopeless and you can feel lost at times. And I want to, I was trying to think of some things that I'd want to convey to anybody who's going on this journey. And these are the four most important messages that I'd want to give any family. And they're the messages that I give the families that come into my practice when I, when I start working with them. And so I want to tell you them as well, because I know a lot of us don't get support from either our partners or our relatives or our friends. People maybe are well-intentioned, but they don't get it. And that can be very frustrating. I want to be able to support you on the podcast. If you want more support, also join my private Facebook group. Because if you think you're alone, the minute you go in there, you're going to realize that you are not alone because there are over 5,000 of us in there who are struggling just like you are. And we all have similar stories and we will support each other. So come be part of the crew over there at facebook.com backslash groups backslash AT parenting anxious kids. And I will leave a link in the show notes as well, in case you didn't catch that so that you can join there and feel supported because it's actually ironically a very uplifting group. Um, I did that on purpose. I try to be really positive in there and I try to keep people positive. And so even when we're talking about our struggles, people are brainstorming and giving other people ideas on how to help the situation. So we don't get stuck in a rut. So the first thing I want to talk about is the blame game. When I meet a new family in my practice and I'm getting a history, often one of the first things that parents will say to me is, I'm not sure what caused this. And they will look at themselves. They will talk about, you know, you know, we fight a lot in front of the kids or they'll talk about their own traumas, um, their health issues or a death in the family. And yes, that can cause anxiety in kids for sure. But the kids that I'm working with and the kids that most of the people have in my Facebook group have genetic predispositions to anxiety. They have anxiety disorders and there's nothing you really can do to prevent that from happening. That will just happen on its own. So there really does not need to be a blame game. It doesn't help when people are looking for whose fault is this, because sometimes you're going to look at your genes. When I have a baby I'm going to push out an anxious baby. And so the only thing I did was push and then boom, there was my anxious baby. (laughs) So there are lots of things that you can do or not do to perpetuate the anxiety or to not perpetuate the anxiety for sure. You have a big role in how you can help or hinder your child's journey with anxiety. But as far as causing anxiety, anxiety is not contagious. And so if you're fighting in front of your kids, well, there's a lot of people who fight in front of their kids and their kids don't have an anxiety disorder. And there's a lot of anxious parents who have anxiety, generalized anxiety, and their kids don't have it. 
And so there are things definitely that we can do to hold it together a little bit, but you don't create an anxiety disorder in your kids. And I think that's important because I think sometimes people get stuck on that and then they resent each other or they get angry um, or they feel so guilty that they are paralyzed. And so they wind up accommodating their child's anxiety because they think they caused it and they create more anxiety in the kids because the more you accommodate your child's anxiety and you cave to it and you don't empower them, and we'll talk about that in a second, the worse their anxiety can get. So there are a couple of podcast episodes that go into this a much more in depth. If you have your own anxiety, you can listen to episode 68, where I talk about how to crush your own anxiety so that you don't feel like um, it's impeding your child's ability to function. In episode 60, I talk about how to keep calm while carrying on and raising your anxious kids. And most importantly, episode 43 is about not blaming yourself for your child's anxiety and why that's actually not good for your kid. So listen to those episodes because this episode is kind of like a top four points that are important for you to hear, but I'm not going to go into too much detail in each point, but I have episodes that will go into much more detail for each point. Probably actually, maybe not for my point two, but we'll get to that in a second. But I want you to know that sitting there, you know, lamenting over whose fault it is, is not helpful because the answer might be it's nobody's. And more often than not, it's nobody's. I don't think about whose fault it is that my, all three of my kids have anxiety because I look at my genes. I look at how rampant anxiety is in my family and I know whose fault it is. It's, it's the genetics. And then that's it. It's a done deal. Sometimes my husband and I joke like what side of the family my kids get anxiety from, but it really is a joke because I know I look at my side of the family and they're full of anxious people. So that's fine. In my past life, when I worked in foster care and adoption, I worked with a lot of abused children and a lot of kids who went through a lot of trauma and they had post-traumatic stress disorder. But a lot of those kids who had been through a lot of crazy stuff didn't have anxiety disorders. And so one does not equal the other. A lot of it has to do with just having the genetics for an anxiety disorder. Okay. I feel like I'm beating that point So we'll move on. Point number two, which is related to point number one, is that just because your child has a genetic predisposition to anxiety, that is not a death sentence. And so I think sometimes people swing in the opposite direction. And so they're like, oh gosh, you know, everybody in my family has an anxiety disorder, or even if they're not diagnosed, you know, that you have anxious people in your family. It's, it's just inevitable that we're all going to struggle and I struggled and I'm still struggling. And so it is what it is. And a lot of times I will hear parents who have already kind of given into their own anxiety, teach that to their children. And that is not helpful. And so, you know, this is what I do when, you know, I don't like I'm, I have social anxiety, so I just avoid people or I avoid crowds. And so, you know, my child is socially anxious and so I'm going to help her, you know, not have to deal with it. And so we're going to homeschool her and just keep her at home. So she doesn't have to interact with people or, you know, I get nervous about choking. And so 
I tend to just drink smoothies or soft things and there, or I'm afraid of germs. And so I bring a lot of antibacterial soap with me. And so we wash our hands a lot and I help my kids like rinse their stuff off. That's not helpful. And so if you have anxiety or if your child has anxiety and you're just accepting it and saying, you know what, they have a disease or they have a disorder. And so I just need to make them more comfortable through this. That's the wrong mentality because just because you're genetically cursed to have anxiety does not mean that that has to be a lifelong struggle for you because there is something called neuroplasticity and neuroplasticity is the ability for the brain to change for neurons to adapt and for you to change your brain when you change your behavior, which I think is amazing and hopeful. One of my favorite books that I've ever read is brain lock by Jeffrey Schwartz, because he talks about how the brain can adapt and we have the power to, to change the way that our body reacts to anxiety. And so we can retrain our children's brain. They can retrain their brain. You can help them retrain their brain by leaning into anxiety. And I spend a ridiculous amount of time talking about that. And we're not going to obviously go into that in this episode because that would take forever. And that's pretty much all I ever talk about. So I do have an online class where you can learn how to teach your child to crush their anxiety. And you can see my, I have online classes for anxiety. I have one for OCD and I have one for social anxiety. And you can go to anxioustoddlers.teachable.com and look at my classes. There's no www with that. But also listen to all my other podcast episodes. I have a zillion podcast episodes on how to train your brain to not give into anxiety. I also make YouTube videos directly for kids to watch, to learn how to not listen to anxiety. Anxiety wants you to avoid. And the more you avoid, the bigger your anxiety grows. And your child has to understand that. And so when you overaccommodate them and, you know, you sleep with them or you, you know, turn the lights on for them, or you go with them everywhere because they're afraid you're not teaching them how to lean into their anxiety and fight through it. Now you don't want to do that in one go, but you do want to do it in small increments and small steps. And I talk about that a ton. So just go through my podcast, go to my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com backslash C backslash anxious toddler 78. And you'll see playlists for I have a a playlist for kids with anxiety. They can watch those videos directly. And I talk about how to change the channel in your brain. So the important thing here for this point, though, is just that there is something called neuroplasticity. And it's not just foo-foo talk. It's not like just feel good, lay on my couch, let me make you feel better talk. I'm not about that. I'm about changing my brain chemistry. I want to teach my brain to not freak out. And so the way that I teach my brain to not freak out is I do those things in small increments and I realize it's okay. I also accept things. I accept things that I cannot change. And I also learn to control my anxious thoughts. I'm not going to grow them. I'm going to battle them. I'm going to rationalize and I'm going to realize that my anxiety is having a false alarm and I'm not going to feed into it. 
That's how I talk about anxiety. Now, OCD is totally separate. I don't do any of that kind of stuff for OCD. And so you don't want to listen to me if you're dealing with just OCD. I have other podcasts and other YouTube videos purely for OCD because I approach OCD completely differently than I approach anxiety. Anxiety, I battle the thoughts. OCD, we don't battle completely irrational thoughts like that. It's a different topic. Now, a lot of people have anxiety and OCD, and you want to learn how to differentiate what's anxiety and what's OCD. And I do have a podcast episode on that that you can listen to. So up next, I want to talk to you about the two other points that I think are really important for you to hear on your journey raising anxious kids. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. I hate shoe shopping. I have three kids that have three separate issues that make it impossible. My one child is a teenager, and so she will love something in the store, and three weeks later, it is not cool enough, and she wants a new pair. My other child has sensory issues, and so it feels great in the store, but then there's lumps and bumps, and he refuses to wear those sneakers ever again. My third child is growing like a weed, so I feel like I am constantly buying new sneakers. And now I will not do that anymore, because I have heard about EasyKicks.com. They are supporting the show and I'm going to support them because it's a miracle. You pay $20 a month for a subscription plan and your kids can go online and pick out a Nikes or Converse and it gets shipped to you for free and your child can wear them as little or as often as they want. And when they get bored of them, it doesn't feel right or they're worn out. You can send them back for free in a prepaid stamped envelope and then your child can pick out a new pair of shoes and the old ones get donated. Seems like a win all around. Check it out at easykicks.com. Welcome back. So I want to go over two more points about your journey. And I think the third point that's really important for you to get is that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And so a lot of times parents will treat this like it's a cold. We need to fix it. Let me get my child better. And then let me hope that they never get it again. And that's really the wrong mentality because you are going to slowly build your child's skills up. It's going to take time and you're going to take some steps back and then you're going to take two steps forward. And so it's not this perfectly linear approach to anxiety because there's a lot of things at play. So over time, you're going to be building their skills. You want your child to one, be able to recognize what is their anxiety. You want them to name it. I talk about that a lot in my other podcasts. You want to personify it and put them outside of themselves. And that in and of itself is a big skill to be able to identify, Hey, this is my anxiety talking and not me. That's a really good thing for a kid to be able to do. You might be doing that for a year before you move on. And so they might still be anxious, still be avoiding everything, but you're making progress. It's a very slow marathon. And so you have to see the progress in the small things. And then maybe you teach your child to lean in just a little bit. And so if they're afraid to go to bed by themselves, then maybe you're sitting in their door frame, but that's progress. Or if they're afraid to separate from you, maybe you can run to the store 
So you set up these small little challenges and then school starts again and everything goes back to zero. And so your child who wasn't afraid in the summer is now afraid of throwing up again, or your child who wasn't afraid in the summer to separate is now refusing to go to school. And you might think, what's going on? I mean, we had a great summer. We didn't have any issues. And then all of a sudden school starts and we're back to square one. Well, you're really not back to square one. You have to recognize that you're going to hit bumps and your car is going to go up in the air for a second. And then it's going to land. And all the things that your child learned isn't out the window. It's just that when there's a stressor, their skills are going to be kind of disappearing for a little while. So you have to know when your child's under stress, like the beginning of the school year is a big one. Your child's probably not going to do as well as they had been doing, but that doesn't mean that they're going to go all the way back to zero, because I think that's what parents really worry about is they say, oh gosh, not again. Like I can't, I can't go back there. I can't deal with how bad it was, but that's really catastrophizing things because if you anticipate yeah, you know what? We're going to a new school this year. We're going to hit a bump or we're moving to a different house. I expect that the anxiety is going to get worse. Or if you even go on a trip and you guys all stay in the same hotel room and then you go back, guess what? Your kid who was able to fall asleep on their own is now having trouble and wants you to lay with them again. Yeah, because they got used to you guys all being in the same room. So if you anticipate some bumps, you're going to go backwards sometimes. That's okay. I think you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't want to think that like all that progress is for naught because now you're in the same boat because most of the time kids with anxiety are very resilient and they will eventually bounce back to the baseline that they were before they hit the bump. And so you don't want to over catastrophize things and you don't want to project too much into the future. And I know that's a hard one to do. Because a lot of times, not only are we worried when we hit a bump, but we might be in a situation and we'll think, Ugh, what is this going to look like when they're 15? What is this going to look like when they're 20? How are they going to be able to function when they're an adult? And we're looking at a four-year-old. Don't do that because <laughs> that's not helpful because you're going to panic. You're going to have anxiety. And so you're going to do one of two things. You're going to either push really hard on your child because you're starting to panic. And so you are becoming harder because you want to fix this problem and you become kind of overzealous or you feel bad. And so you over accommodate and you give in, you don't push your child at all because you're uncomfortable with the distress that it's causing. So either type of parenting is not the best. And I always talk about finding a balance, which is hard for all of us but you want to find some sort of balance where you're not being too strict, um, but you're not being too over accommodating. And we're all going to get very smushy and go far to one side and far to the other, but then you just want to find that middle ground again. So thinking it's a sprint and over catastrophizing, thinking about the future or getting really, really upset when you hit a bump or really pushing your child farther than they're ready, isn't going to work. Because also the more you push them and it's your energy, not their energy, the more they're going to push back in a bad way. I spend a ridiculous amount of time in my therapy sessions, motivating kids. And sometimes parents are probably like, 
where are the skills? Like, let's move on to build the skills. And for some kids, we move right on. Like the first session, I'm already skill building with them. But if the kid's not ready, if they, one, deny their anxiety, two, don't want to talk about their anxiety, or three, think their anxiety is their best friend and we're all out to get them, then skills are not going to work because we have to motivate our kids first. And so I talk a lot about kids having to understand their anxiety and they have to want to work on their anxiety. And you might be in that realm of just motivation for years because your kid can't move on until they're fully motivated. Does that make sense? And I know that's a struggle. Okay. The last words of wisdom I have for you today are about seeing your child beyond their anxiety. Your child is not just their anxiety. Don't let that be their identity. Sometimes I will see kids in my practice and that's all the family's talking about. Like that is the child's identity. If your child has anxiety or OCD or pandas or pans or anything, really anything, that's only one component of who your child is. And so you don't want your child to think that that's who they are. That's all you talk to them about. And that's all um, that represents them. Because I think sometimes when we look at our kid and we see them struggling, that's all we think about. And it's easy to do that because it can be really overwhelming because their anxiety oozes into every part of their life. But anxious kids in general are pretty amazing kids. And if I was to stereotype, I think this is a pretty accurate stereotype that most anxious kids have other qualities that go with the anxious personality that are beautiful. There've been some really good articles. Hey, Sigmund.com wrote an article about the superpowers of anxiety. And I have written an article about the amazing attributes of anxiety and And I think it's important for you to recognize what are the great attributes of your kid? Because I think sometimes we don't celebrate that. We're too focused on the things that are tearing our kids down. It's understandable because they can't function. They're not sleeping or they're not eating or they can't go to school. So yeah, that's a big deal. But some of these kids are the most insightful kids. They're the most empathetic kids. They're very kind hearted. They are concerned about other people. They are intelligent and they are aware. They are normally people pleasers, but that can be in a good way because they're in tune to what people want and they can read a room really well. And so we want to hone in on what is awesome about our anxious child. Now, separate from some of the qualities that tend to go with anxiety, every child's unique. So what are some of your child's strengths? What are some of their abilities that maybe you want to hone in on? And that actually can be a very helpful thing also for anxiety because anxiety can be all consuming for our child. And so if we tap into their other strengths, you know, they're artistic or they love to cook or they're amazing with animals or they are great with horses or they're really good at soccer or they're really good at building things. You want to start identifying that in your head so that you're kind of reframing your view of that, of your child, but you also want to start reframing that in their head because anxiety can be depressing. 
It's depressing to feel anxious all the time. It can be a self-esteem killer. So it's a two-parter because you want to look at your child more holistically, that they are more than their anxiety. And you want your child to look at themselves and realize that they are more than their anxiety. So start mentally thinking about what else is pretty cool about your kid and focus on that. Get them into cooking camp or get them into art camp or get them to do a project. Or maybe they are the special pet whisperer at your house. And so if there's anything related to the, to the animals, then you need their advice and their help. That is a good way to hyper-focus on their strengths, get them to recognize it, and also for you to recognize the other things that are going on too. Because we can all get blinded by anxiety. Trust me, I know. With three anxious ones. So I want to let you know that next episode, I have scheduled... Dr. Ross Green. And so he is the author of the classic, The Explosive Child. He also wrote Lost at School. And he wrote his recent book is Raising Human Beings, which is really good. So if you aren't subscribed to my podcast, you definitely want to hit subscribe so you don't miss that episode that should be up the following week. If you're enjoying my podcast in general, feel free to hit a star and on iTunes, you can hit a star and show your gratitude and support for the show or leave a comment. I appreciate that. At the end of each show, I like to read one comment to give back to those that take the time to write comments. So Sue Jackson wrote, I am hooked on this podcast. My son will be nine next month and I'm interested in learning more about how to start incorporating these techniques into our lives. I wish I could rewind time about five or six years. Looking forward to finding out how to help my son cope with anxiety at nine and challenge himself to try new things. He has been risk averse and anxious about food and trying new things since birth. And I want him to have the tools to experience life to the fullest. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate the comment, Sue. Um, I do have a YouTube video that I just did that's coming out this week for kids on food anxiety, because that is something that we deal with at my house all the time with my eight-year-old. So I totally relate with the struggle. If you have a comment, feel free to leave it and maybe I will read it next episode. I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do and I'll talk to you later. Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.